Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The remarkable journey of a social worker serving in hospice is what author Catherine Cullen's new book, Honest Endings, A Social Worker's Life in the World of Hospice, is all about. Catherine is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Catherine, thank you for talking with me tonight. Oh, well, thank you, Corey, for having me. So you've had some truly remarkable experiences in hospice. Can you tell us about this book? The book is about, like you said, my journey as a hospice social worker. It's full of touching stories of people and families and how they coped with an impending death. It's really real stories of real people dealing with this in their family. And I'm hoping that people will learn that they can be there too, handling someone's death. Because a lot of people are afraid of that. That's been my experience, at least. How did this book come about? How did you get the idea to go back through all these experiences and memories and put them into book format? Initially, I started journaling because several years after I left the job, I was still having a lot of emotions and feelings about it. So I started journaling and then fairly soon after, I thought there might be something there that would be helpful to other people. So I just kept going, and now we have Honest Endings. Did you have a target audience that you were writing this for? I had two really families of people who are going through this, of course. That's my primary audience. And then um, I'm hoping that other social workers and professionals will learn and grow from it also. I think it could certainly be a good learning tool for people you know, people like me, I, I don't really know what goes on mm-hmm. in, in the lives of social workers, and especially in hospice. I don't have experience in that area. So I think this would be a really interesting read for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it is. I think that my feedback on the book has been really good so far, and people are really relating in one way or another to the stories seems to draw people into their own experience, and then they start to share that with me or with someone else in their life. So I think it can be a powerful book to read, and you know, I'm hoping for that at least. It's just great to see people's lives being changed by what you're doing. Uh, is this the first time you've written a book? Yes, it is. It is. I never thought that I would do this. It was... You know, my whole career was mostly in psychotherapy. And because of the confidentiality issues, I just didn't feel like I could ever write about that. And of course, I did change everybody's name in this book, but it just seemed like focusing on this was universal in a way and something that we'll all have to deal with at some point. It just felt like a calling and the right direction to go. 
So knowing that your first published book is out there, people are reading it, and people are benefiting from it, Mm -hmm. what kind of feeling does that give you? Oh, it's very satisfying. It gives me a lot of hope that the book will affect people and help them learn some things that they can do when this is happening in their lives. And that's important to me because I'm a helper. <laughs> that's great. We, we need more helpers out there, that's <laughs> for sure. Well, I encourage listeners to check this out. This is Honest Endings, A Social Worker's Life in the World of Hospice by Catherine Cullen. This is published by Fulton Books. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your reading material. Catherine, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It was great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Corey. I appreciate your time. The Life of a Penny, A New Friend Ray, is a new children's book by C.J. Spring, who's joining me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. C.J., welcome to the show. Thank you for talking with me tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about The Life of Penny and New Friend Ray? It's a, it's a kid's book that I wrote. I was inspired by my nephew, Ray, to write it. And it's a kid's book about being lost and lonely and a friend, finding a friend and, you know, just uh, having a journey together. Is this the first book you've written or the first time you've been published? No, this is the second book I've written. I've written a book of poetry called Poetry Dead to Society. So how is it different going from a book of poetry now into a children's genre? It's it's a little different. It, it, took, a, it took a little longer to do. Like I said, I was inspired by my nephew Ray, but it, it was a long time ago, and I didn't get it finished until just about a year ago. So I sent it off, and uh, you know they published it But I had started a long time ago, and it just took me a while to do because it was was due to me. And do you have any advice for authors who want to take this same journey? Just do your best and research and make it fun and lovable. So what ages of children would you say is the target of this? I would say anywhere between age 4 and up to age 10. Wonderful. Are you considering writing more books? Yes, I got a novel that I wrote. I'm going to get it published next. I just finished it. It's going to be published next. I just got to get it out there. Illustrations are very important, especially in children's books. What was working with the illustrations like? The illustrator, he he did a good job. I liked his work. It was very easy to work with him. He knew exactly where I wanted to to go with the inside of it. So it it was very easy to work with him. Did you ever get stumped for ideas, kind of a writer's block kind of thing? No, I didn't. It was pretty easy to write. It just, it took me a long time because I didn't have the time to do it. It took me a long time to do it, but it was very easy to write. It uh, It was fun writing it. And it was it was very enjoyable. How do you feel seeing your work, your published books, the things you wrote up there on shelves for the world? I feel very great. It's a great thing having my, my book published. And so I, I, I'm just very, very thankful to have that done. I encourage listeners to check out The Life of a Penny, A New Friend Ray by C.J. Spring. 
published by Fulton Books. You can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere. CJ, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It was great talking with you. All right, thank you. Stories of self-discovery are common, but the one you'll find in author Jeannie Tyrell's new book, Brain Drops, is a lot different than you might expect. Jeannie is joining me right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jeannie, thank you for joining me tonight. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you tell us about Brain Drops? Well, um, it's a very entertaining story about what keeps an individual from being in the moment. It's meant to explain how we've collectively developed something that I call a disregard complex. It's a pretty fun read, and I'm sure the readers will enjoy it. So how did this come about? Where did you get the idea or inspiration for it? I started writing Brain Drops in 2012, but I've always been kind of just documenting stuff in my life, and I finally decided to write it in 2012. Have you written or published anything before? Yeah, I did study journalism, so I did do some things for newspapers, and, and but this is my first actual book that I've written. So, Congratulations. It's a big Thank deal you. getting published for the first time. What's it feel like? You know, it's it's a really great feeling. I feel really glad that I've actually completed it. <laughs> and it's kind of out of my mental space now, and I have more room for to create something else. So it's um, a great accomplishment. You know, often just getting it done is one of the biggest challenges for writers. Were you having problems along the way with things like writer's block or just getting caught up? Not really, because I had done the mental homework, I guess, for such a long time, and I kind of had all the material there for me because I, I constantly journal and document. And so anytime I was kind of losing focus, I would just return to my own self in a weird way, <laughs> which is another thing that the, the book is actually about is kind of like how you can kind of produce creatively because there's a lot of obstacles in our way. And so it's just a fun way to kind of show the reader like how they can get to that sort of place as well. How was it taking everything after all those years, then editing it to be published? I think adding structure to it, because that was actually a bit of a challenge too, but I think it was helpful. I really like, I enjoyed the process. What one piece of advice now would you give to authors that want to get their first book out there? I think just go for it. You know, I think a lot of people put too much pressure on themselves, especially right now. I think collectively we're all putting, a, we have a lot of pressure. And so we're adding enough to our, even more to ourselves, I would say. So I think authors need to kind of give themselves a break and they just need to put the work out and not really second guess themselves would be my advice. So hopefully it won't take eight years for a second book. Are you thinking about it? <laughs> I'm actually working on a fiction. Yeah, so I don't think it will take that long. Maybe a year, I don't know. But I am working on something else. Like I, I said, Braindrops being finished complete in my hands has now freed up so much space. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited. I am writing. You're in an elite group now. I, I heard a, a, a well-known author say that being that you finished a novel, let alone publish it. Being that you finished it, you are in an elite percentage of writers. Wow. And what that does for you is then it just motivates you and inspires you to do more and more and keep writing. Exactly. I, I fully intend to do so and not really, you know, doubt myself or do anything like that. Just go for it. Well, Jeannie, thank you for expressing your creativity and 
inspiring others to do the same and giving us a glimpse of what's going on in your mind. This is <laughs> Brain Drops by Jeannie Tyrell, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your reading material. Well, Jeannie, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It was great chatting with you. Bye. Thank you so much. Oliver the Dragonfly is Gary Rogers' new book, full of wonderful messages for children. Gary is right here with me now. Gary, welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you today. Can you tell us about Oliver the Dragonfly? Oliver came to me one day when I was driving by a place called Geneva Marsh. It's a big swampy area and dragonflies. And I got thinking about how a dragonfly might experience life through taste. And in Oliver the Dragonfly, he gets tastes that he likes and tastes that he hates. It's really interesting to think about, I think, and uh, I hope it'll help kids realize that not everything's good, but everything you can learn from. What ages of children would you say this is suited for? Oh, probably 6 to 12. Is this the first book you've written or the first time you've been published? Yes. So what was this first writing experience like for you? It was a lot of fun. I I did I did most of it in my mind. I would jot down things and change things, but thought about it a lot for months, and it finally come together to where I liked it. So I decided to write it down and see if anybody else liked it. When it came to illustrations and working with somebody in that regard, you know, again, in children's books, illustrations have to hold the interest of the children and tell some of the story as well. So what was that like? I had thoughts that I sent to the publisher, and he had an artist that he was working with that would put them down, and we made very few changes. Apparently, whoever did the artwork was very talented and thought a lot like me. I think it, it's wonderful what they did. Now that you've gone through everything, do you have advice for aspiring authors? Uh, sure. Enjoy it. It's a fun process. It's a long process, sending back and forth to the publisher and proofreading and stuff like that. But it, it's an enjoyable process, too, because you have it. It's like expecting a present every month or so from the publisher. A lot of writers deal with writer's block. Did you experience that at all? No, it all seemed to just come piece by piece until it was all together. Oh, that's fantastic. Is there more in the future? Are you considering writing more or getting published again? Yes, I, I, I think there's going to be a follow-up to this one. I do a lot of research online, and I found a lot of things about dragonflies. I didn't know how far they can fly. The fact that dragonflies don't walk. They have six legs, but they don't walk anywhere. So what kinds of things do you read to keep yourself inspired, motivated, or entertained? A lot of different things. Uh, mostly nonfiction, historical books. Now, talking about grandchildren, would you say then your grandchildren may be some of the inspiration behind writing this? Sure. Yeah, they have amazing minds. You, you spend time with them, and you never know what they're thinking until they start talking. And then it's just wonderful. Wonderful. I encourage listeners to check this out. This is Oliver the Dragonfly by Gary Rogers, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your reading material. Well, Gary, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It was great talking with you. You're welcome, and thank you. Brandon the Bee, Be Kind, is the new book by Jan Sherman that teaches children the importance of kindness. Jan joins me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Jan, thank you for being here tonight. 
Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. Can you tell me about Brandon the Bee, Be Kind? It's about a bee who embarks on this quest to find his lost food source, which is nectar. And in that journey to find nectar, he is distracted by friends who need his help. And so the big dilemma is whether Brandon the bee just continues on his journey or will he stop to be kind? So basically, this story explores what kindness is and how it can make a difference in a child's life. How did the idea for this story come about? Well, kind of a long story, but this book was brought out from the personality traits of my late son. And he had an incredible sense of humor and just saw life as something that was blossoming, I guess. Brandon the Bee is the main character of the book. And I just wanted to bring out some of the personality traits of my Brandon into this book. And it just, it did, it just blossomed. Brandon was a school teacher an after-school program. And he just really wanted to tell kids to stay in school, don't drop out. And so I think it was a great opportunity for me to continue sharing the simple life lessons with children. That brings me joy. That's wonderful. Is this the first time you've been published or the first time you've written? I've written one other book, but this is the first children's book that I've written. And um, Brandon the Bee will be a series of books, and I'm currently writing the second book. What age of children would you say is this best for? I would say between four and eight years old. Now, would you have any advice for aspiring authors that are looking to maybe specifically do a children's book? Yeah, you know, it's, it's sometimes the hardest part is starting. How do you do it? How do you get going? And I think you have to have a passion you have to have something that sparks a desire, a story. And my suggestion is just start writing down your ideas. Start writing down who you want as a main character and what you want the story to tell. What's the main purpose? And by the end of the book, have you accomplished that? And so by doing those steps, by just starting, just write, just start to write some of your ideas down. Do you think Brandon the Bee has more stories to tell? Absolutely. I have a lot of different, like I said, different life lessons that we even as adults, I mean, in this world, there needs to be more kindness. So, you know, I thought if I can try to get these concepts and encourage young children to be kind and to be themselves, be who they're created to be. If I could encourage them and put it in words that they can grasp, then I feel like I have done something great. Well, I encourage listeners to check this out. This is Brandon the Bee, Be Kind, by Jan Sherman, published by Fulton Books. You can find this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you buy your books. Well, Jan, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It was great chatting with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Author Clark Dunkel uses an interesting metaphor for the gospel in his new book, The Christmas Tree Effect, a guide to effectively preaching the gospel. Clark joins me right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Clark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Corey. It's great to be here. Can you tell us about The Christmas Tree Effect? 
Well, The Christmas Tree Effect was a book that I, in effect, have been preaching for seven years before I put it in print. It comes from a revelation that I received from God on the last night of uh, the Tennessee weekend that I spent at Michael W. Smith's farm in Franklin, Tennessee. It was probably one of the hottest nights I've ever spent on the face of the earth in terms of heat and humidity. And when I was done, I went, came back from the farm and took a shower in the hotel room and sat down. And I just felt inspired that I wanted to find out what God had for me on that trip. And I, I just started to draw. And I'm, I'm an accountant by trade, so I'm not necessarily an artist. So I started to draw this tree, and it turned out to be like a pine tree. And here I was in June of 2011 drawing a Christmas tree. Um, and I was wondering what that was all about. And I just prayed and asked God to reveal what he was trying to get across to me. And the long and the short of it is that the gospel was always intended to be a simple thing to preach. It's like a Christmas tree. Everybody that goes out looking for a Christmas tree, they look for the perfect tree. There isn't too many people that go look for the, the Charlie Brown tree. They spend a lot of time, they look for a perfect tree, they put it up in their house, and then basically they decorate it with decorations. And down through the Christmas season, everybody comes in and says, oh, what a beautiful tree. But what they really mean is what great decorations that you have. And we spent all that time looking and for this great majestic tree to put the decorations in, and it kind of gets lost. And I think what God was telling me at that time was that the gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. It's a very simple thing, and, and we've complicated it by putting ornaments on it, and we hide what the gospel was all about. So in trying to get this revelation, God led me to the four apostles that wrote. Each one of them wrote a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I was impressed upon the fact that I wanted, to, I thought I needed to look at the final time, so to speak, that Jesus spent with them and giving them the Great Commission. And when I found out, when I was reading the Great Commission, I found out that each one of them recorded it in a different way. For instance, Matthew tells us to go teach to all nations. Mark tells us to preach the gospel, but he doesn't necessarily tell us what the gospel is. Luke does tell us what the gospel is, and it's very simple. It's five words repentance and remission of sin. And John then tells us how to preach it. When I saw that and realized that the gospel was simple, it is preaching the fact that God forgave us and remitted our sins, and all we need to do is repent. And we've spent so much time putting ornaments on this beautiful five-word tree that we don't preach it. We actually preach the things that are on the tree, and people don't see the wonderful majestic of the gospel and, and how truly simple it is, but wonderful it is. So I wanted to put it in print. I, like I said, I had been preaching it for seven years, and I thought with the world the way it is, you know, how it's becoming more divisive, that I think we need as Christians to get down to the fact and the bare facts of what we really need to preach. And in one word, it's, it's grace. It's God's amazing grace. Is there more writing or publication in your future, do you think? Uh, I don't know right now. Um, I certainly, I like I said, I'm a full-time pastor. I continue to preach and teach. Almost everything that I preach is uh, derived from the Christmas tree effect of God's amazing grace. Um, so I've got plenty of material. And when I feel that, that God is telling me that I need to do something else, then I will. Oh, we're looking forward to it. This is The Christmas Tree Effect, A Guide to Effectively Preaching the Gospel by Clark Dunkel, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and elsewhere. Well, Clark, thank you for coming on the show today. It was great chatting with you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Readers will find new ways to inspire and teach children in the book Daybreak Studies, Times Tables, The Key to Math. The author, Mary Louise James, is here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Mary Louise, thank you for chatting with me tonight. 
Well, hello. Good to hear from you. So can you tell us about Times Tables, The Key to Math? It's a way I uh, found to help my grandson learn his timetables, you know, because um, you, you take a training wheel. In the beginning, uh, a small child uses training wheels to enjoy his bike. He falls in love with it, riding it. It's just the right size. You can drive, making turns, drive fast or slow. But when the wheels are taken off and he learns to drive without the training wheels, then he, he won't need the training wheels ever again. And this is what uh, I got the idea of teaching my grandson his timetables using his fingers, 5, 10, 15, 20, like this. And, but once he gets the rhythm of it, and, and then he can go on to other timetables. And that's how I got the idea of it. Why do you think it's important to keep developing things like this, new ways to be teaching children these old concepts? Well, I, I know when I was a child, we used to play hide and go seek. And that's how we started learning our timetables, doing 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. And then you get the rhythm of it, you see. And once you get the rhythm of it, then the 6, 12, 18, 24, 30 become easier because you've got the concept of how the timetables go. And I, I really believe that the 10 tables are the first things a child should learn after learning to count the ABCs. You know, it's, it's one of the main things to learn. Now, is this the first book you've written or had published? Yes, it's the first book I've ever written. Well, congratulations getting it published. Yeah. Uh, what's it feel like being an officially published author now? Oh, I'm so pleased with it. I'm just hoping I can help children learn their timetables, you know, and, and the book can go on to the younger sisters and brothers, you know, they can keep on going. And what's the age range here? Well, you can't start too early, you know, when they can learn to talk and because children learn quickly, you know, uh, they start learning, kind of start walking, they're, they're learning, they're learning, they're learning. I don't think you can start too soon when they can start talking, you know. They start singing, they hear music, and, and they start learning. Well, I've even met grown people, you know, and I've, I've introduced this to my timetables. You know, they said, well, I need to learn mine, you know. So it's <laughs> even grown people that need to know their timetables. Do you plan on writing more? Well, I, I do charts on different other um, I have 10 charts I have on other things that I help children with. And when you're thinking of new ideas, new concepts, new ways to teach children, do you ever get stuck for ideas in the middle of doing this? And then how do you get through it? Just make notes, you know, and see how, how it works on the children if they're, if they're perceptible about accepting it, you know. Show them pictures and explain to them how, how the world goes around. And now that you're published, this is out there. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? For the publisher, good publisher, they're very, very helpful. I think anyone can use this publisher and can and, and be successful. This is Daybreak Studies, Times Tables, The Key to Math, by Mary Louise James, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you buy your books. Well, Mary Louise, thank you for chatting with me tonight. It was great having you. Well, I've enjoyed it, and thank you very much. I'm sure this will, this will help children. Author William L. Frame takes readers on a journey in space in his new book, Worlds Apart. 
William is talking with me here at the Reader House Author Roundtable right now. William, thank you for joining me tonight. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. The Worlds Apart seems like an incredible journey. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah. Um, Worlds Apart is a romantic sci-fi adventure set on a primitive world known as Planos. It's a blending of perspectives of two people's vastly different life experiences. One, a highly educated girl, Jennifer, who is familiar with the common knowledge of modern sciences and technologies of Earth. The other is a primitive hunter, Tarek, who possesses the knowledge and skills to survive in the wildlands of Planos throughout the yearly cycle of seasons. It's a blending of their mindsets that helps them come together. Is this the first book you've written or first time you've been published? Uh, no, this is not the first time I've been published. Uh, in 1998, I self-published my first novel. It didn't go well. What could go wrong in the publishing process did. The company I went with didn't provide the support team to assist during the process. So I ended up with a, a really expensive book on my bookshelf. But I didn't let it set back, set back or destroy my dream. Taken me 22 years to submit another manuscript for publication, and I believe Worlds Apart is a story worthy of a reader's attention. Yeah, congratulations on getting it out there to the world. Uh, it's, it's a hard, tough process. <laughs> <laughs> so, what gave you the idea for this? It gave me the idea. Worlds Apart started as a short story. It was uh, a couple of years ago. It was a short story for uh, a Mother's Day gift from my wife in 2018. However, the story remained in my thoughts and surfaced now and then in my dreams. So in January last year, I developed a backstory for Jennifer's character and went from there. In December, Fulton Books reviewed the manuscript and accepted it for publication. So would you say that your wife is the primary inspiration for this then? Uh, yes. She's a strong-willed woman who's not afraid to let me know what's on her mind. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great act uh, as a husband to do something creative for your wife and give to your wife creatively. Yeah, well, I'm I'm the hopeless romantic between us, you know, so. <laughs> oh, we need more like you out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so what advice now, having gone through, you know, a couple different types of publishing processes once— sort of self-publishing yourself and not going so well. And now this seems to have gone a lot better for you this time around. Do you have advice for people looking to publish? Oh, yes. Um, I would say if you want to be an author, no matter what you do, practice, practice, practice. I worked in the aerospace industry throughout my career, and I wrote every day to improve my writing skills. But any author that person that wants to create something, most importantly, no matter how long it takes you to do it, don't ever give up on your dream. That's great advice. Now, is there more in the future from you? Are you considering writing more? Oh, I'm, I'm always writing. Uh, during the process of uh, Worlds Apart uh, getting published, I didn't realize it at the time, but it became, uh, it's now the start of a trilogy. Uh, I wrote the first draft of Charter World, the sequel, which continues uh, Jennifer and Tark's story 48 hours after World Apart ends. I'm currently working on the final installment of the series called uh, Imperial World. 
That's fantastic. We'll be looking forward to those, and I encourage readers to read part one of the trilogy, and that is this one, Worlds Apart. The author is William L. Frame, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find this at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you buy your books. William, it was great chatting with you tonight. Thanks for coming on the show with me. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Readers will find the story of childhood friendships formed through baseball in a small town in Chan Howell's book, The Last Summer. I want to welcome Chan to the show right now. Thank you, Chan, for joining me at the Reader House Author Roundtable tonight. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. Can you tell us about The Last Summer? Yeah, it's a, it's a book of kids that are 12 years old trying to make it to Williamsport, Pennsylvania for the Little League World Series, and it's kind of a coming of age before the 12-year-olds eventually turn 13 within the year, and, you know, all of life's changes at that point in a boy's life start impacting their, their lives. How much of your own story went into this? Well, a little bit of it was inspired by my older brother because he actually had a summer that was very similar to this. So some of the characters are inspired by me watching as a younger boy, watching these guys play. And then some are obviously of my friendships that I had at that same age. What inspired you to go ahead and put this in book format and publish it for everybody? You know, I've talked about it for years and thought about it and, you know, just never really could get started. And one day a sentence or a, you know, quote came to mind and I wrote it down. And it sort of was the first seed that built the book, and it was built around that sentence, and that was what inspired me. So this is your first book then? Absolutely. Very first one. Congratulations on getting published. Yeah, thank you. Very excited about it. Yeah, how does it feel to be out there and bury your soul for the world, basically? You know, it's exciting and terrifying, but at the same time, I would rather folks read it and love it and like it. But at the same time, if they don't like it and they read it, and you know, that's still a benefit to folks, too. Do you have advice now for aspiring authors that want to take the same journey that you did? You have to be persistent and just stay on it, honestly. You know, there was times where, you know, I would maybe get bored with writing it and then I would get back into it. I think things would have maybe went a little better for me if I would have just stuck at it, you know, constantly. What did you do during those times where you were stuck for ideas, not necessarily bored, but you're like, I don't know where to go with this next, a writer's block thing. Did you deal with that? A little bit, but then, you know, something would pop up in my head, you know, either from my past or maybe an old friend, I would see them and I would think, hey, there's a story or a chapter that I could revolve around something he and I did when we were 12 or something like that. And those are some of the things that broke me out of it. What kinds of readers do you think would enjoy this book the most? You know, I think I think adults, you know, would love it mainly because part of it is the narrators looking back on this summer as an adult. So I think adults would like it because it will bring them back to their childhood at that same time. But I think children, you know, maybe quite around that same age, 12 to 15, would like it and really love it because it tells a little bit of a story that everybody has a chapter in where there's some change for you or, you know, some type of trial or difficulty you have to overcome. And the boys in this book, they have those and have to overcome it. And I think that applies to everybody out there. So is there more in your future? Are you going to continue writing? Yeah, I've already started, you know, some notes on a, another book. You know, I, I coach the local kids in sports and pretty much every sport around here my sons play and kind of inspired. I'm going to maybe try another crack at it with, you know, something to do with football. Started some notes on that. I encourage you to do that. And I encourage listeners to check this out. It's called The Last Summer 
by Chan Howell, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your books. Well, Chan, thank you for joining me here tonight. It was great chatting with you. Great to meet you, and I appreciate the opportunity. Miraculous is an understatement when describing Susan R. Smith's life, and she writes about it in her new book, More Than a Miracle, A True Story of Survival and Inspiration. Susan joins me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Susan, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me about More Than a Miracle? Well, More Than a Miracle is a true story of survival and inspiration involving unbelievable challenges, such as being a single mother of three young boys and refusing to be a victim when I was brutally raped one night at knife point. The book goes on to include several life-threatening illnesses, one of which ended with a true miracle. I describe many of the ways I coped with breast cancer and a diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which involved, believe it or not, nine tumors, one of which was wrapped around my aorta. After almost two years of chemotherapy and radiation, I was given a chance with a stem cell transplant at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I barely survived, but was left with some serious challenges like heart failure, kidney failure, and degenerative bone conditions. The book goes on to describe an amazing climb out of the abyss with the help of my faith in the miracle, which left me knowing that I had work to do. Wow, what an amazing story. What prompted you to write this all and get it published? Well, one night as I was fighting for my life from a deadly lesion on my brain, I was in my bed and all of a sudden the room lit up like a bubble of light. And a voice reverberated through me and it said five simple words. You have work to do. Afterwards, I knew that I would survive, but as time went on and other life death challenges continued to occur, I realized that other people were amazed by my story. It became more than a miracle. It became a calling. How do you feel now that it is out there after all this time working on it and going through these experiences? Now it's out there and you're helping people. How do you feel? I feel great. <laughs> I mean, it was it was almost like giving birth, you know, after a two-year gestation period. <laughs> <laughs> so you have so much experience, so much to tell. It's hard to believe that you can contain it all to one book. Would you think about writing more? I have thought about that. Um, first, I'm hoping that I'll be pretty busy promoting this book. But a place I wrote about in the book is called Ferncliff Beach, where we lived for 15 or 20 years. And it's so amazing. And I thought about writing some kind of a novel or book that takes that as a background. Um, the people there are eclectic and there's rich history and all kinds of things like that. So I thought maybe I'd use that as a background for my next book if I write another one. Did you ever hit a place when you were writing that you were stuck for ideas, like a writer's block kind of thing? And then how did you work through that? Oh, uh, I did. I, I did have times like that. And one time, I think it was like three months before I could sit back down and write again because I just, I was so stuck. But then I started to make a chronology list of the events in my life. And after that, I was able to start diagramming. And then all the little 
things came into play once I started diagramming, I could keep that going. Then I wrote, tried to think of it in chapters, and I would try to name the chapters temporarily anyway. And then as I looked at my diagram, it would help me stay focused to not drift off into another subject or anything like that, you know? This is More Than a Miracle, A True Story of Survival and Inspiration by Susan R. Smith, published by Fulton Books. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your books. Well, Susan, thank you very much for joining me tonight. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Corey. I enjoyed speaking with you, too. Author Rick Wilson takes on some of the biggest questions in Christianity in his new book, Father God, After Believing in Jesus as Savior, Can One Lose Their Salvation? I got Rick with me right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Rick, thank you for joining me tonight. Well, thank you very much. These are some big, big topics you're talking about in this book. Can you give us an overview? Well, they they are big. They were big to me uh, in my life. Uh, I was pastor's son, raised in a very ultra-conservative environment. Uh, And as a result, um, by the time I graduated high school, I was married and divorced and a father. And then I went into the world for years and years, and there was really no out of bounds. I've been married six times. Five of those times were uh, not involving God in any way, shape, or form. But then when God finally got a hold of me, he brought me to some questions. Because the second and third times I was involved with him as a result of hitting rock bottoms and all of the sinful indulgences throughout my life, the other denomination that I was involved with had a totally opposing view of the denomination that I was raised in. The denomination I was raised in says you can absolutely never fall out of the hand of God and lose your salvation. And the other denomination was just the opposite. Yes, you absolutely can, no question about it. So I had to answer that question because I was wondering if I would have died in my sinful years, would I have gone to hell or not? I wanted to know firsthand. So that's what prompted the book, but where it led after that were into a lot of other subcategories that were equally as important. About how long were you working on it? Um, I would say it was a good six months. It was a good six months, but it was years in the making. Because as God walks us through life, and as I look back, now being 64 years of age and I look back at life, you know, you just see God, his hand working even in the midst of our our sin. And, you know, one of the issues that was really a, a big one to me is the church, both denominations, were entrenched in the Ten Commandments, but you're saved by grace. By the grace of God, we're saved, and it's a gift of God, but you got to live by the Ten Commandments. And so, you know, there, there was some real, real conflict there. Because, you know, the the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments, you know, that was signed in the blood of bulls and goats and brought by the servant Moses, where the new covenant was brought by the Son of God and signed in the blood of the Son of God. Which is more important to God? Well, that's kind of self-answering. You know, obviously the Son, his blood and his sacrifice is far more important. But yet we emphasize so much of our thoughts and actions into the obedience to the Ten Commandments. And what it meant to me was a distraction. And in that distraction, there was so much guilt, condemnation, that 
was ongoing throughout my life. I mean, when you live a life like I live, you have lots of things to feel guilty about and uh, to be condemned about. But I am totally convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, that one of the reasons that God brought the new covenant was not only to redeem us to him, but to have a life of peace, even in our sinful nature, which we will live in until the day we die. But we still, under this covenant, we can go boldly to the throne of God anytime. And there's no asterisk in that scripture that says, well, unless I confess my sins or, or, or I live a whole day without sinning, there's no conditions. It's come to the throne of grace and mercy anytime. So the new covenant just provided uh, so much peace when I finally began to understand the differences between the covenant that it's just a joy. So is there more writing in your future? Are you considering doing this again? Well, not at this time. Uh, I have uh, a lot of things that I have written, but nothing to the extent of it being book eligible. But if God changes my mind, he's God and and I will do whatever he leads me to do and be happy to be uh, a part of whatever he's doing. Well, thank you for taking things that have happened in your life and, and the way God shaped you and, and turn that into a book that I know is going to help and encourage a lot of people. This is Father God, After Believing in Jesus as Savior, Can One Lose Their Salvation? by Rick Wilson, published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and wherever else you buy your books. Well, Rick, it was great chatting with you tonight. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, it's been a blessing. Uh, Thank you so much for the opportunity. The Coming of Age is Vincent Montgomery's new book that deals with a young man's tough choices as his life becomes more and more complicated. Vincent is joining me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Vincent, thank you for being here and talking with me tonight. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us all about The Coming of Age? So it's pretty much about a high school uh, student in the inner city of New York City during like the mid-90s. And he's trying to pretty much find himself and try not to get swallowed in the wrong crowds and the street life and pretty much trying to make the right decisions and try to avoid jail and death as much as possible. How much of this story comes from your own life? Um, I wouldn't say it comes from my life. But I've seen it done so many times where people get swallowed up into the street life, and I figured it'd make a good story. About how long were you working on this? It took me two years to write it. What were the challenges along the way? Any speed bumps? Um, I wouldn't say I had many challenges. I would say it took me so long to write it because I feel like when you're, you're writing, I don't know how other writers do, but I have to be in the mood to actually write, so... Whenever I was in the mood to write is when I actually began to write. So did you ever hit writer's block? And then was that your strategy, just sort of walk away from it when that happened? If I, yeah, if I had a, a time where I couldn't write anything, I'd just leave it alone and i come back to it when something popped up in my head. So was there a specific motivation to get you to start on the writing journey and then to pursue getting it published? I'm active duty Navy, so one of my friends, I was underway, and one of my friends was like, you need to, you should, you should write a book. So I'm like, I don't know how to write a book. I don't know where to begin. And then she told me it could be anything. It could be a lyric, it could be a song, anything that motivates you, inspires you. And then I just kind of took it from there. So being your first published work, how does it feel now knowing that it's up there for the world? 
it kind of feels surreal. Like I didn't see it happening at first, but when I finally got my actually published copy of the book and then I seen the ebook actually online, it was like, oh, I'm actually an author. Reality sets in. Wow, it's it's actually for real now. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> are you still writing? Or are you thinking about publishing more? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I actually have the, the fans that I've acquired, they want to see a, a sequel to the book. So I guess I'll start writing some more. Fantastic. Do you have any advice now for aspiring authors? If you If you want to do it, don't let anybody stop you. You could do it if you want to do it. It's, uh, to me, I don't think it was like a hard journey. It was more of if I wanted to actually put it out, would people uh, enjoy it as much as I, I enjoyed writing it? So if you want to do it, just go for it. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And what kind of audience do you think uh, this is most geared towards? Is this more of a like a teen, young adult, adult? Where do you think this falls? Uh, I think it falls between both. I feel like high school, middle age, high school kids could probably relate to it. Grown adults could relate to it. So I, I, I don't really think it's a specific audience. I feel like anybody would, would love to read it. First and foremost, thank you for your service in the Navy. Uh, really appreciate that. Not, not a problem. The book is The Coming of Age by Vincent Montgomery. Published by Fulton Books, you'll be able to find this on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere else you pick up your reading material. Vincent, thanks again for coming on the show. It was great chatting with you today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first.